This is The World in Brief from The Economist. Our top stories. Police in Russia arrested more than 1,300 people for participating in protests in response to President Vladimir Putin's announcement of partial mobilization, according to OVD Info, a Russian human rights group. Around 300,000 reservists will be conscripted under the plan, said Sergei Shogu, the defence minister. On Wednesday, seats on flights departing Russia sold rapidly and internet searches for how to leave Russia rocketed. America's Federal Reserve raised its benchmark interest rate by 0.75 percentage points for the third time in a row. In an effort to tame stubbornly high inflation, the central bank has raised short-term interest rates from 0% in early March to 3% today, the sharpest tightening of monetary policy in four decades. Asian stock markets sank in response on Thursday. Protesters in Iran set fire to police stations and vehicles amid ongoing demonstrations over the death of Masa Amini, a young Kurdish woman in police custody. Though fiercest in Iran's Kurdish region, the protests have also spread to Tehran, the capital, and to some 50 cities and towns across the country. At least seven deaths have been reported. Britain lifted a moratorium on fracking for shale gas. The controversial practice, banned in 2019 for fear of causing earth tremors in the process, was allowed to resume in an attempt to expand domestic energy production. Jacob Rees-Mogg, Britain's Business and Energy Secretary, said that the country needed to explore all avenues available to us amid spiralling energy prices. Japan's government intervened in the foreign exchange market to prop up the weakening yen, its first such intervention since 1998. The yen's value had fallen to 145 to the dollar early on Thursday, from 144 the day before, in response to the Bank of Japan's decision to keep interest rates low. The authorities' decision to stem that fall boosted the yen's value back to 142 to the dollar. In a recorded address to the UN General Assembly in New York, Volodymyr Zelensky, Ukraine's president, demanded just punishment for Russia, including stripping it of its veto power in the Security Council. Earlier, Joe Biden had condemned Russia's invasion and urged other world leaders to rally around Ukraine. Russia's foreign minister, Sergei Lavrov, is to deliver a speech on Saturday. Ukraine announced that Russia had released 215 Ukrainians in an unexpected prisoner swap, including commanders of its Azov battalion. The Ukrainian side released 55 Russian fighters and Viktor Medvedchuk, an oligarch close to Mr Putin. Russia also released 10 third-country prisoners of war, including five British nationals, after negotiations mediated by Saudi Arabia's Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman. And fact of the day. 66,000 yuan, equivalent to $9,500. The amount that a grocer in China was fined for selling subpar celery. And now here's a deeper look at the day ahead. Putin's Desperate Measures For months, President Vladimir Putin reassured the Russian people that his special military operation in Ukraine was going to plan. But on Wednesday, he announced a partial mobilization, meaning that Russians with army experience or in the reserves may be conscripted. The announcement projects desperation. 
Sergei Shoigu, the defense minister, claims fewer than 6,000 soldiers have died in Ukraine. But he also said that 300,000 more would be mobilized. That would be a larger force than that which first invaded Ukraine in February. Mr. Putin promises draftees additional military training. But many of the officers who could deliver training are dead, wounded, or already on the front lines. And mobilization is unpopular. On Tuesday night, internet searches for how to leave Russia skyrocketed. As Russia discovered in 1917 when the Bolshevik Revolution toppled the monarchy, giving arms to people who do not wish to fight can be risky. Iranians rage over a young woman's death. Iran has seen almost a week of protests since the death in custody of Masa Amini, a young woman whose crime was her clothing. Miss Amini was detained in Tehran by the morality police earlier this month, supposedly for wearing a loose hijab or headscarf. Police claim she suffered a heart attack but witnesses say she was badly beaten. Her death set off demonstrations across the country. Some women have burned their headscarves. Compulsory wearing of the hijab is a pillar of Iran's theocratic regime. Relax the dress code, religious leaders' thinking goes, and unwanted ideas may follow. Ibrahim Raisi, the arch-conservative president who was elected last year, has given his goons a freer hand to enforce dress codes. Police will crack down harshly on protesters. Activists say they have already killed five. The unrest comes amid surging inflation, a stalemate in nuclear talks with the West, and rumors about the Supreme Leader's health. Many Iranians were primed to explode. Miss Amini's death was a spark. The Case Against Imran Khan On Thursday, Pakistan's High Court is expected to indict Imran Khan on contempt of court. The move is related to the former Prime Minister's claim that a judge knew that one of Mr. Khan's aides had been tortured in police custody, but refused to release him. A different court last week ruled that Mr. Khan could not be charged with the most serious offense of terrorism but the lesser charge still carries. If Mr. Khan is found guilty, he could be barred from politics for five years. He therefore accuses his opponents of using the law against him. He may have a point. Since losing office after a parliamentary confidence vote in April, his antics and those of his supporters have been a headache for his successor, Shaban Sharif. Mr. Khan has exploited Mr. Sharif's struggles with Pakistan's economy and the fallout from devastating floods to boost his own popularity. That will not end in court. A Horrific Year in the Sahel Discussion of the Sahel, a strip of land on the southern border of the Sahara Desert, will take place at the UN on Thursday. It will be a grim conversation. Jihadists affiliated with Al-Qaeda and Islamic State have made it the world's terrorism hotspot. 
Last year, the region accounted for one-third of all terrorism deaths. So far, this year appears worse yet. To tackle the jihadists, the military junta that rules Mali brought in Russian mercenaries from the Wagner Group. France, which had previously led the fight, then pulled its troops out. Wagner-linked massacres of civilians are spiraling. The UN's peacekeeping force remains for now. Some 3,600 people have been killed in Mali already, almost double the total for the whole of last year. In Burkina Faso, meanwhile, in January, soldiers seized power in a coup, promising better security. Yet this year will be Burkina's deadliest ever. Niger, a democracy, is having a better year than its neighbors, but even there, more than 700 people have been killed so far. Natural Disasters on Screen The trailer for Thai Cave Rescue promises heroic stories you haven't heard about. The six-part television series released on Netflix on Thursday dramatizes the rescue of 12 boys trapped in a cave in 2018. It seems unlikely that many viewers will be unfamiliar with the tale. When unexpected rainfall caused the Wild Boars football team to become stuck for 17 days in northern Thailand, their plight was broadcast around the world. The event has since been memorialized in two other films and a documentary. The saga combines an audience-winning formula of high stakes, heroics, and a happy ending. But plucky tales of survival may seem out of touch when disasters caused by extreme weather are increasingly frequent. Climate change is making rainfall more erratic and flooding more common. In the month alone, flooding in Pakistan has killed 1,400 people and displaced 33 million. Those victims are unlikely to receive the Hollywood treatment. Daily Quiz Our baristas will serve you a new question each day this week. On Friday, your challenge is to give us all five answers and, as important, tell us the connecting theme. Email your responses and include mention of your home city and country by 1700 BST on Friday to quizespresso at economist.com. We'll pick randomly from those with the right answers and crown one winner per continent on Saturday. Thursday. Which carry cot for babies is named after a biblical figure? Wednesday. Which politicians led the Labour Party to disastrous defeat in the 1983 British general election? Finally, here's the quote of the day from Danny Absey, who was born on this day in 1923. I hope to go into a poem sober and come out a little drunk. That's the world in brief from The Economist, available three times every day of the week. You can also hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, on your podcast app. And subscribers to The Economist have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app to start listening.